0: Today is the beginning of a new series for us. It is called Diagnosis. Uh, I'm excited about it. It's a little bittersweet to leave the book of Romans for the last two years. We've been just kind of plugging away. And don't you worry, you Bible guys and gals, sorry. We will be in Matthew for like seven years starting this fall. So don't, don't fret. You go, what's up with this topical stuff? Well, you know, just... Relax a little bit. Um, I'm I'm excited about it because it really gives us all an opportunity uh, to to take the season of the summer and do some some evaluation uh, to see where we are. To intentionally ask some questions, some helpful questions, uh, to evaluate where we are in relationship to Christ, how healthy our walk is, how vibrant. The fruit that is bearing, uh, the, the bearing of fruit in our lives. We're, we're hoping that we can ask some questions, a little bit self-guided tour of some questions uh, that uh, can, can prompt some thought about where you are in relationship to Jesus Christ. But even more so, uh, that might inspire some growth in some areas that maybe you're not intentionally thinking about. Does that make sense? You may not necessarily think on the, on the, uh, below the surface and start to ask some of these questions that uh, are really laid out in a book, that um, we're not preaching the book, if that makes sense. We're preaching the Bible, but we're using some of the chapters of the book to, to just facilitate a, a Q&A, uh, if you will, uh, in relationship to, to where you are with Christ. So we trust it will be helpful for you. So let me ask, just in a general sense, how would you evaluate or assess your current walk with Christ? Where are you today? Don't tell me about the glory days in the mid-80s. Where are you today in relationship to Jesus Christ? Are you healthy? Is there a vibrancy? You bearing fruit in the way that the scriptures speak of? Maybe you're not sure. That's okay. That's what this series is about. Maybe you wouldn't know where to start. Maybe you wouldn't know the kinds of questions that you should ask to get at that answer. Well, one thing is for certain, by way of introduction today, uh, that there's a question that we must ask before we ask all the other ones. Right? You, you don't want to jump to the ten questions that are in the book, really, that we're going to look at over the summer, without asking this primary foundational question. Are you alive spiritually? Right? You can ask questions about health, But in some ways, you're asking questions about health with the assumption that you're alive spiritually, right? Spiritual health requires spiritual life, and it would be disastrous, disastrous for us to start talking about health without talking first about life. It would make no sense to assess the health of a corpse. Like to take the cholesterol or the blood pressure of someone who is dead. Likewise, it would make no sense to do that if there is no spiritual life. Because spiritual health requires spiritual life. You can't be healthy if you're dead. And so we ask you the question, foundationally, primarily, most importantly, are you spiritually alive? Let's take a look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. The scriptures are not silent on these matters, meaning God is not silent on these things. We're not raising a question that God doesn't speak directly to this morning. So if you're here today and you're not sure, we pray that God would assure you today. Or you pray, if you're here today and and you think to yourself, I actually don't feel alive at all. I don't know what it means to be alive in relationship to Jesus Christ. I don't really understand what you're talking about. Well, the good news today is that God is going to speak directly to you from his word about how spiritual life a foundation, necessary foundation to spiritual health. How spiritual life is uh, found. Ephesians two, one through ten. Maybe you've heard it a million times, and yet you can't get enough of this text. Ephesians two, one through ten. Listen to these words. Says this: And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Pardon my smile reading that text. Pardon my smile when I think a little bit, too, about uh, the last three months. Some of you took the opportunity to, to make fun of me a little bit, a little jab, you're getting old. What'd you do? Well, uh, a couple months ago, uh, I went into uh, the doctors with a little bit of pain in my foot. Oh, you remember. Looked like a goon up here. I went up uh, to the doctors. I said, something's wrong with my foot. It hurts. Hurts, Doc. You know, what's What's the problem? You know, what, what happened here? Well, uh, let's take an x-ray. And so I got the x-ray at the good old SOS, little plug for Sean Waldron, and uh, they said, yeah, we uh, got your x-ray, and uh, we're going to need an MRI. Okay. Why? <laughs> what is it, cancer? Maybe. And I was like, you know, you, you act like, oh, I'm tough, right? Like, I'm good. You know? What do you mean, cancer? Yeah, funny, doc. Well, you see this little white spot in your bone? I was like, that's your, that's your equipment, man, right? That's a blip on your equipment. You need to run the tests again. Now, we're going to need an MRI because we don't know what it is. Well, good old Google you google it next thing you know i have lung cancer i mean i just I, I literally like they trace a little spot in your foot and you have lung cancer you know plan your plan your uh you know all your bucket list kind of things and uh you know it, it's definitely unsettling uh but a couple weeks later it came back and praise be to god it was nothing uh just a, a bone island uh it was just a little tendonitis. that's all Just a little bit more tendonitis as you age, just a little more tendonitis, first in your arms, then in your knees, then in your shoulder, and now in your foot, just a little bit of tendonitis. You might want to rest it. I'm like, doc, I've been resting for three years. Like, I don't do anything, you know? Yeah, you're going to need to rest some more, and then I wore the boot. Just a little tendonitis. You know, that was the diagnosis that I had received, but I thought it was way worse, I thought the diagnosis would be way worse, or at least it could be, but it was just a little tendonitis. You see, I wish I could look at all of us today and, and say that our nature in sin is, in our, in our state in sin, is, is just a little tendinitis. Just, it's not as bad as you think it is. But the truth is, is the scriptures give us a diagnosis that is much more problematic. If you look at the first three verses of chapter 2, the text says that, well, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian Christians, he's talking about who they were in sin, he says, you were dead. That you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And then he comes to himself. He says, and really everybody, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul gives a clear uh, diagnosis Of the human condition in sin. He says, you're dead. That it's not just a little bit of weakness. It's not just a a little tendinitis spiritually. But in sin, and in our trespasses, the way in which we live, the course in which we follow and walk. That really you're dead. You say, well, clearly we're not dead, like we're alive physically. We, we walk around, we breathe, our heart beats. He's not talking about a physical death, right? He's talking about something that we may not necessarily think about all the time. Our heart, the state of our being, who we are spiritually in relationship to God. And he's saying, yeah, you may be alive physically, You may get up every day, and your heart might beat, and and you may look healthy. Just as the eyes look upon you, as you look in the mirror, it might look just great. Everything must look fine in your own eyes. But the truth is, you may be alive physically, and at the very same time, dead spiritually. And what Paul is saying is the diagnosis for us in our sin is that we're dead. We're literally walking dead people. That the issue that we have is is internal. I have conversations all the time with people, uh, especially lately, and and I've been there. I don't don't know about you, where you are now, uh, and just your day-to-day living, but every once in a while you get this sense of like, something is wrong about my life. You ever been there? Like, something's got to change. Something's got to be different about our lives. And so we start saying, I, I need a new job. That's what it is. I, I need a new job. My, my job's to blame for, for what's wrong in my life. It's got to be my job. Or, or, or we say, you know what? This house is too small. That's what it is. We're just too, we're too close. That's why we're fighting all the time. Because we're, we have one bathroom and 72 people in this house, right? Like, we, we got to move. That's what it is. Got to find a new house. Or maybe it's just Syracuse and all this weather. That's what it is. The rain. Some of you finally said amen. First time in your life. It's, it's the weather. We got to move south. Get out of this dump. The greatest city in the world, I might add, Right? No one agrees. Great. You agree? See? Okay. You know, you love and hate. It's family. Syracuse. Love and hate. You know, it's wonderful. We'll take it. Everyone thinks it's external. I need a new job. I need a new house. I need a new spouse. That'll fix it. That'll make sense out of my... That'll put me on the right path. Right, because it's something to blame, someone to blame on the outside. And something's got to change out there because you know something's wrong. And now understand this, sometimes there's situational stress, and it it wouldn't be a bad idea to make a change. So I'm not saying leaving your job is always focusing on all the wrong things. So follow my logic. But it is true. When people are a mess, they immediately think... Something's got to change on the outside, but you know what all those messes God does in all those messes He reveals the real issue. My character starts to come out Raise your hand if your character starts to come out in those moments Just raise them. Okay, because it's true. That's what happens What's coming out and being revealed in those moments is the real problem that needs to change. You know who needs What needs to change me? I need to change Right That the real issue, we can can spend all of our time thinking about how to orchestrate change and transformation on the outside. But none of that can deal with the real issue of our soul and our hearts. That's what culture is always trying to do. More of this. More of that. Try this. Try that. And we're scratching in our world for joy and satisfaction and meaning. We're scratching for life. And we're doing so in all of the, uh, we're, we're doing so in all these places that n- literally just manage external realities and maybe even numb us to the real issue in our soul. Is that in sin and trespasses, we are spiritually dead. We are far from God. It's internal. The issue that you face primarily is an internal one, a heart condition. And in sin and trespasses, when we live according to the ways of the world, and we follow that course, we follow that path. Just as it in the side, we're always following someone in something. Right? Discipleship is following Jesus. If you're not following Jesus, you're following something else. No independent on your own kind of living. It's you're just following the course of the world. The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedience. And Paul's saying that's death. That's walking around dead spiritually. Spiritual life is the very thing that we lack when we're living in our sins. Spiritual life is the very thing we lack, he says when we're living in our sins. Which makes 4 through 7 so wonderfully glorious. When you look at spiritual death, living far from God, we're by nature objects, uh, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. You put that as a backdrop, and then you see uh, Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. You begin to see The beauty and the glory and the wonder of grace for what it really is. What a highlight of grace we see in the next four verses. He goes on to say that while this was true, that we in our sins and trespasses were literally dead in them. Spiritually dead, not weak, dead, lifeless. That while we were that, it speaks to us about who God is in the midst of that. The text says this, but God. Yeah, you were dead. Yep. But God. Two simple words. I'm not going to go on a rabbit trail with this, but don't miss that. While you were dead, but we're going in a different direction. It's an adversative conjunction. This is reality, but God redefines reality with this. But God is this. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus you were dead we were all dead in our sins and trespasses but god you see that those verses immediately get at the nature of god and maybe maybe you don't really know who God is. You don't know the God of the Bible. You may have an image of who God is, but you don't know what the Scriptures teach about God. Scriptures tell us that God is rich in mercy. Did you hear that? God is rich in mercy. A never-ending abundant supply of unmerited favor. Of Not giving you what you deserve in your trespasses and sins. Rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. The love of God is great. He is a a, a God full of steadfast love and mercy. That's the God of the scriptures. A God that is merciful and loving. Great love. Do you know that, God? God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. That is a radical statement about the grace of God. That God is rich in mercy toward us. He's great in love toward us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. It always shocks me to hear people say that they can't really go to church, they can't really interact with God until they get themselves all cleaned up. First, I gotta get my life in order, and then I'll go to church. Guess what? You never get your life in order apart from interaction with this kind of love and mercy. You can't do it on your own strength. Without a, 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 the application of that mercy, without receiving that mercy, without experiencing that kind of love, you will always be in the process of cleaning yourself up prior to engaging God. But see, that's not the gospel at all. That's not what we see taking place, that the radical nature of the love of God and His mercy is that He pours it out to people who are dead in their sins and trespasses, even when we were dead. Not when we cleaned ourselves up and figured it out. Not when we started doing the right things. No, when we were dead, spiritually dead in our sins and trespasses, deserving of wrath, God does what? He pours out His mercy. He pours out His love toward us to save. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. You see, spiritual life is provided in the work of God, who's rich in mercy and great in love. God is doing something out of his mercy and out of his love for people who are dead and undeserving. That's where spiritual life comes from. A work of God who is merciful and loving, right Romans 5:8. We've been quoting it a lot lately. God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were what? Still sinners. While we were still sinners. What did God do? Christ died for us. The great love with which he has loved us is those words. Christ died for us. While we were still dead. While we were still in sin. While we were enemies, Romans 5 talks about. It's radical. It's scandalous. It goes against all human logic. God helps those who help themselves. Survey said? No. God helps. God saves. God delivers. God works with those who are dead, who are at enmity with Him. And He does so in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Christ died for us. That is the nature of the gospel. And that's what we see here. That God is doing a work. And he says three things about that work. He says that we're made alive together with Christ, raised up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that while we were dead, God is doing a work to make us alive, to raise us up, and to seat us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what God does because he's rich in mercy. And because he's great in his love towards those who are dead and undeserving. That's the gospel. That's the wonderful news that we need to hear before we walk down any path about spiritual health. We must have spiritual life. And it is only found in a work that God does for us. A work that God does in us. It's not something that we do on our own. We don't conjure up some sort of spiritual strength that he assists us with. He gives us a little bit more so that we can cross the finish line. No, God does the whole thing. He raises us up with Christ. He seats us with him, and he makes us alive. This is the powerful, sovereign, gracious work of Almighty God for undeserved sinners. Don't miss that today. Don't ever miss that when you're here. And if we don't say it, somebody throw a tomato at us. Because it's all about the work of God to bring about the salvation of undeserved sinners. He does it. He does it. Because He's merciful. Because He's loving. But understand this. He does it in Christ. And He does it by not just Delivering us, saying, yeah, I won't punish you. Yeah, okay, I'll forgive you. Those are wonderful things. But look at what he does. The profound nature of salvation, which really, we, I think we've talked about this a number of times. That salvation from sin is always interconnected, never severed from, any aspect of it, from Jesus Christ and our union with him. It's about Jesus, simply put. So what God does when we're dead in sin, he does so in Jesus. He made us alive together with him. Right? Raised us up with him. Seated us with him. There's no benefit of the gospel. There's no saving work of God apart from Jesus, who he is, what he's done. And we don't get any saving benefit. Ever in the scripture, no covenant blessing ever, unless we are united to Jesus Christ in His life, in His resurrection, in His glory. It's always because of our union with Jesus. So if you want spiritual life, you want the assurance that you're alive in God, go to, look at, trust in. Jesus Christ, because it's union with him, his person, his work, his life, which is the source of our own life, a source of our own identity. It's always, has been, always is, and always will be about Jesus, what God is doing to save the undeserved, he's doing in Jesus. There's no saving benefit apart from the work of Jesus and you being united to him your whole being your whole nature your whole eternity your whole destiny your whole purpose all of you united to the person of Jesus Christ there is no salvation apart from Jesus that's what that's how God does it God did it in Jesus if you want spiritual life Jesus It's like the woman at the well just coming to get water. Right? Jesus is thirsty. Jesus says, woman, give me a drink. And uh, why do you ask me? I'm a Samaritan woman. Why am I asking you? Why aren't you asking me? He said, if you knew Who it was who says to you, give me water, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water, which springs up to eternal life. If we know who Jesus is, we'll ask him. He's the well. He's the source. He's the life spring of life. If you want life, you go to the source. It's Christ. If you knew who it was who said to you, give me water, you would ask him. It's actually more shocking, not that she asked Jesus, I'm sorry, but that Jesus asked her, it's more shocking that she didn't ask him. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you understand what he's done as an expression of the Lord's abundant mercy, the extension of his great love for you? It's not sentimental love. Sacrificial. He gave himself for us. He saved us. How? In the cross. In our place. On the cross. In our place. For our sins. He was a substitute. He died and was raised and ascended. And God saves us by uniting us to that work. That person. That's the source of life. And so in this These four verses, we see who God is. We see who God saves, the most undeserved people, people like you and me. We see how God saves by uniting them to Jesus, and then we see why God saves. Right? Verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's what God wanted to do. Why would God do this? Like in some way, human mind just interacts with, this, why would he do this? Why would a sovereign God create the world knowing that we would sin? As the kids were asking downstairs last week. Why would a sovereign God create the world knowing that we would sin and fall? Because it's always God's intention from the beginning. To save a people from sin through union with Jesus Christ. So that in that act, eternity can look and see the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us. That's why he did all that. His sovereignty, yes, is he the author of sin? No. In his sovereignty, did he allow sin? Absolutely. It came into the world. And it was under his watch care. But why, we have, why would God do that? Because the scriptures teach that from the beginning of all time and creation, the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they said, hey, we are going to display our grace and kindness toward the undeserved people this way. Through the death and resurrection of God the Son and our uniting undeserved sinners to that work. That's the eternal plan of God. That's why Jesus was not plan B. Jesus was always plan A. Always plan A. He does this. He saves us. He he raises up the undeserved dead sinner so that in in the corridors of time we will always look on the canvas of history and say, that's the grace and kindness toward us. In Christ Jesus. What an awesome thing. And to think that throughout all eternity, we'll never tire and grow weary of staring at that. It's that infinitely glorious. That in the coming ages, we're just going to stand amazed at the grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. All the things that get our attention that we're enamored with in the temporal moments today. All the things that grab a hold of us. And then 10 minutes later, we've forgotten it doesn't matter. That our attention will always be on the grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. If that doesn't sound good to you, well, you might not like heaven. Um, Because that's what it's going to be. A joyous celebration and staring at something that you will never grow bored and weary of the glory of God, the grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Awesome, huh? I'm in. I'm in. I mean, look at the gloom out there. I'll take a look at that. Jesus. It's always about Christ. Spiritual life is the very thing we lack, and yet spiritual life is the very thing that God provides to undeserved sinners through a union with Christ. And last thing. Spiritual life is a gift to be received by faith. Right? Verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before Him that we should walk in them. Spiritual life is found in, In a gift that God gives to be received by faith. Faith is not a work. Faith is also a gift. He gives to people. He regenerates them, as we've talked about before in January. Like uh, what Piper said. Love that quote. The first cry of the newborn in Christ is what? Faith. Faith. That regeneration precedes faith. That we're dead in sin. And God makes us alive. And our first cry is, I trust in Jesus. Faith, it's not your own doing. It is the gift of God. By grace you have been saved through faith. Faith is the means that we receive it. We rely on it. We trust in it. We rest in it. It's not our own doing. We recognize that there's no cause for boasting. So if you're here today and you uh, are hearing this for the first time, or maybe even just being reminded of where life is, Rem- be reminded and, and see that, that spiritual life comes by receiving all that God has done for you in Christ by faith. Receive it by faith, by trusting in it. Faith is our response to God's gracious work in raising up, and resurrecting, dead and undeserved sinners. So are you alive? Are you alive? Yes. Preach. You can say yes to that. If God has united you to Jesus Christ. You can say yes to that if you trust in him. Understand this, raising this question becomes foundational for this series. And I want to encourage you a little bit because I think oftentimes in the midst of the struggle of the Christian life, we get discouraged, we start to doubt, and we raise this question today about whether or not you're alive so that we never have to raise or let me see, question that again. Like It's got to be first. It's got to be there. But we're, in, in this series, we're not hoping to question your salvation. We don't walk pe- want people walking out the doors every week wondering whether or not God has saved them. That's not the intention of this series. We deal with it first and foremost now of critical importance. There's no point in talking about the rest if you're not first alive spiritually. But I want you to rest assured, even in the midst of your struggles and your weariness and depression, not sure, and, and you hear the accuse, accusing of the enemy who wants to strip you of assurance, who wants to instill doubt in your heart about his saving work the way he does it, maybe even subtly get you to start working for God's pleasure and acceptance. Maybe just subtly, just get you off a little bit the, the path of the gospel. I just want to settle that. That if you're united to Christ, if God has raised you from the dead, if you trust in him, you are saved from your sins. You are spiritually alive. Don't let anything tell you any, uh, anyone tell you anything different. Let that be a starting point, a foundation, a bedrock that inspires you, that motivates you to press into these next ten questions. We question it today, but we don't want you, if you're in Christ, questioning your salvation every week. Nor do we want to say, like, if you're living this way, that means you're saved. That's moralism. We don't want to do that. That's not the gospel. You can be very much alive in Christ and still have areas of your life, or even be in a season, where you're just unhealthy. Right? These questions are just meant to get you thinking about those things. To help you and, and inspire you and motivate growth and health in your life. Not to question your salvation. Now if you don't know Jesus, you're not. please don't move on in the questions until you deal with that one. For health to be present, of course, there must be life. Donald Whitney in his book. So we're going to move on and we're going to ask these ten questions. I'll lay them out for you and then we're going to close. Number one, next week, do you thirst for God? Do you thirst for God? The gospel creates a hunger and a thirst for God. Right? When we've been raised from the dead, that's that's what resurrection does. Right? Right? You were there when you became a Christian. I don't want to do that anymore, and now I want to do that. I'm a little weird. Remember those days? Like, uh, why do I want to listen to, uh, uh, you know, Winds of Worship CDs? <laughs> this is weird, right? You were there. Come on. Ron Cannoli is awesome. He's really not, but your attention. Your desires change. One of them is primarily just thirsty for God, hungry for God. Two, are you increasingly governed by God's word? Are you increasingly governed by God's word? Right? Saved people are submitted people. They find joy in bowing the knee. Right? Right? And surrendering to the truth of God's word. Third, are you more loving? You more loving? I've shared in in recent messages that that's been a real struggle. Like I feel like we talk sometimes like, remember when we were just like loving Christians? Like I think God brings you through processes where he deepens your love by maybe revealing your your lack of love. Right? You more loving. Christians grow in their love. Or when they're healthy. If you're struggling with that, maybe it's a sign of lack thereof. Four, are you more sensitive to God's presence? Jordan is going to be coming to preach on that one. Mid-July. Are you more sensitive to God's presence? Number five, do you have a growing concern for the spiritual and temporal needs of others? What's the last time you helped somebody move? Like, you know, that's a silly example maybe, but like, that's a sign of health, that more and more you just want to make yourself available to help people spiritually, to invest in them, to, to, to pay their mortgage one month, more and more. I just want, you want to give, let go of, like, this money means nothing. I just want somebody else to enjoy it. That's a sign of health. Do you delight in the bride of Christ? Uh, no, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Uh, No. Uh, Do you delight in the bride of Christ? When you're, you love Jesus, you love his wife, right? Sign of health. Are the spiritual disciplines increasingly important to you? Next one. That was a joke. Spiritual disciplines? We don't fast, do we, Jerry? It's like, right? Like two lunches, Levensies. You talk about that? And I'm back off the wagon. <laughs> the jokes are coming from me now. I'm way off the wagon. Spiritual disciplines like solitude, prayer, scripture reading, fasting, hungering for God. Right? Are these important to you? Are they less important? Here's a tough one. Do you still grieve over sin? Or is sin kind of funny now when we talk about it? We still grieve over our sin. Nine, are you a quicker forgiver? Emphasis, quicker. Forgiveness is hard. Especially when it hurts real bad. But the gospel promotes a, 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 a new reaction to being sinned against. It's like, God forgave me in Christ, so I forgive. Like, you're, you're ready, you're quick to forgive. And ten, the last one, do you yearn for heaven... And to be with Jesus. Ethan's dropping that one. Yes he is. Do you yearn for heaven to be with Jesus? If all you do is seek momentary temporal pleasures in this life. You don't think about heaven. You don't yearn for it. And can't wait to be with Jesus. You find yourself daydreaming about eternity with Christ. It's probably because you're consumed with here and now. One final question. Do any of those questions even matter to you? Just a cute series. Mike's being annoying again. Or do these questions matter? Trust that in some ways your summer schedule does a little bit of this, take advantage. Take advantage of the summer. Don't waste your summer for the glory of God. Think, reflect, assess, evaluate your walk with Christ. Maybe this will help in such a way to promote growth and maturity. Spiritual health requires spiritual life. Amen? Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for this word, perfect inspired word that Paul writes to the Ephesians. One that no sermon can fairly represent the joy and depth of just glory that is in those words. We praise you that You did not leave us in our sins, but You came to us out of Your mercy and Your great love and You raised us up. You made us alive and You seated us all with Christ. To Him be all the glory, all the honor, all the wisdom and power and praise throughout all eternity. God, mature us by Your Spirit through these days, through these weeks. May we not be satisfied with the status quo, may we not simply reduce following you to a couple simple external actions, but may you transform and renew and restore our hearts before you. We ask this in Christ's name, amen.